Chapter Nine of the Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. Chapter Nine: Dreadful Occurrences in Madagascar. I had no more business to go to the East Indies than a man at full liberty has to go to the turnkey at Newgate and desire him to lock him up among the prisoners there and starve him. Had I taken a small vessel from England and gone directly to the island, had I loaded her, as I did the other vessel, with all the necessaries for the plantation and for my people, taken a patent from the government here to have secured my property, in subjection only to that of England, had I carried over cannon and ammunition, servants and people to plant, and taken possession of the place, fortified and strengthened it in the name of England, and increased it with people, as I might easily have done, had I then settled myself there, and sent the ship back laden with good rice, as I might also have done in six months' time, and ordered my friends to have fitted her out again for our supply, had I done this, and stayed there myself, I had at least acted like a man of common sense, but I was possessed of a wandering spirit, and scorned all advantages. I pleased myself with being the patron of the people I placed there, and doing for them in a kind of haughty, majestic way, like an old patriarchal monarch, providing for them as if I had been father of the whole family, as well as of the plantation. But I never so much as pretended to plant in the name of any government or nation, or to acknowledge any prince, or to call my people subjects to any one nation more than another. Nay, I never so much as gave the place a name, but left it as I found it, belonging to nobody. And the people under no discipline or government but my own, who, though I had influence over them as a father and benefactor, had no authority or power to act or command one way or other, further than voluntary consent moved them to comply. Yet even this, had I stayed there, would have done well enough, but as I rambled from them, and came there no more, the last letters I had from any of them were by my partner's means, who afterwards sent another sloop to the place, and who sent me word, though I had not the letter till I got to London, several years after it was written, that they went on but poorly, were discontented with their long stay there, that Will Atkins was dead, that five of the Spaniards were come away, and though they had not been much molested by the savages, yet they had had some skirmishes with them, and that they begged of him to write to me to think of the promise I had made to fetch them away, that they might see their country again before they died. But I was gone a wild goose-chase indeed, and they that will have any more of me must be content to follow me into a new variety of follies, hardships, and wild adventures, wherein the justice of providence may be duly observed, and we may see how easily heaven can gorge us with our own desires, make the strongest of our wishes be our affliction, and punish us most severely with those things which we think it would be our utmost happiness to be allowed to possess whether i had business or no business away i went it is no time now to enlarge upon the reason or absurdity of my own conduct but to come to the history i was embarked for the voyage and the voyage i went i shall only add a word or two concerning my honest popish clergyman 
for let their opinion of us and all other heretics in general as they call us be as uncharitable as it may i verily believe this man was very sincere and wished the good of all men yet i believe he used reserve in many of his expressions to prevent giving me offence for i scarce heard him once call on the blessed virgin or mention st iago or his guardian angel although so common with the rest of them however i say i had not the least doubt of his sincerity and pious intentions and i am firmly of opinion if the rest of the popish missionaries were like him they would strive to visit even the poor tartars and laplanders where they have nothing to give them as well as covet to flock to india persia china etc the most wealthy of the heathen countries for if they expected to bring no gains to their church by it it may well be admired how they came to admit the chinese confucius into the calendar of the christian saints a ship being ready to sail for lisbon my pious priest asked me leave to go thither being still as he observed bound never to finish any voyage he began how happy it had been for me if i had gone with him but it was too late now all things heaven appoints for the best had i gone with him i had never had so many things to be thankful for and the reader had never heard of the second part of the travels and adventures of robinson crusoe so i must here leave exclaiming at myself and go on with my voyage from the brazils we made directly over the atlantic sea to the cape of good hope and had a tolerably good voyage our course generally southeast now and then a storm and some contrary winds but my disasters at sea were at an end my future rubs and cross events were to befall me on shore that it might appear the land was as well prepared to be our scourge as the sea our ship was on a trading voyage and had a supercargo on board who was to direct all her motions after she arrived at the cape only being limited to a certain number of days for stay by charter party at the several ports she was to go this was none of my business neither did i meddle with it my nephew the captain and the supercargo adjusting all those things between them as they thought fit we stayed at the cape no longer than was needful to take in fresh water but made the best of our way for the coast of coromandel we were indeed informed that a french man-of-war of fifty guns and two large merchant ships were gone for the indies and as i knew we were at war with france i had some apprehensions of them but they went their own way and we heard no more of them i shall not pester the reader with a tedious description of places journals of our voyage variations of the compass latitudes trade winds etc it is enough to name the ports and places which we touched at and what occurred to us upon our passages from one to another we touched first at the island of madagascar where though the people are fierce and treacherous and very well armed with lances and bows which they use with inconceivable dexterity yet we fared very well with them a while they treated us very civilly and for some trifles which we gave them such as knives scissors etc they brought us eleven good fat bullocks of a middling size which we took in partly for fresh provisions for our present spending and the rest to salt for the ship's use we were obliged to stay here some time after we had furnished ourselves with provisions and i who was always too curious to look into every nook of the world wherever i came went on shore as often as i could 
it was on the east side of the island that we went on shore one evening and the people who by the way are very numerous came thronging about us and stood gazing at us at a distance as we had traded freely with them and had been kindly used we thought ourselves in no danger but when we saw the people we cut three boughs out of a tree and stuck them up at a distance from us which it seems is a mark in that country not only of a truce and friendship but when it is accepted the other side set up three poles or boughs which is a signal that they accept the truce too but then this is a known condition of the truce that you are not to pass beyond their three poles towards them nor they to come past your three poles or boughs towards you so that you are perfectly secure within the three poles and all the space between your poles and theirs is allowed like a market for free converse traffic and commerce when you go there you must not carry your weapons with you and if they come into that space they stick up their javelins and lances all at the first poles and come on unarmed but if any violence is offered them and the truce thereby broken away they run to the poles and lay hold of their weapons and the truce is at an end it happened one evening when we went on shore that a greater number of their people came down than usual but all very friendly and civil and they brought several kinds of provisions for which we satisfied them with such toys as we had the women also brought us milk and roots and several things very acceptable to us and all was quiet and we made us a little tent or hut of some boughs or trees and lay on shore all night i know not what was the occasion but i was not so well satisfied as to lie on shore as the rest and the boat riding at an anchor at about a stone's cast from the land with two men in her to take care of her i made one of them come on shore and getting some boughs of trees to cover us also in the boat i spread the sail on the bottom of the boat and lay under the cover of the branches of the trees all night in the boat about two o'clock in the morning we heard one of our men making a terrible noise on the shore calling out for god's sake to bring the boat in and come and help them for they were all like to be murdered and at the same time i heard the fire of five muskets which was the number of guns they had and that three times over for it seems the natives here were not so easily frightened with guns as the savages were in america where i had to do with them all this while i knew not what was the matter but rousing immediately from sleep with the noise i caused the boat to be thrust in and resolved with three fusees we had on board to land and assist our men we got the boat soon to the shore but our men were in too much haste for being come to the shore they plunged into the water to get to the boat with all the expedition they could being pursued by between three and four hundred men our men were but nine in all and only five of them had fusees with them the rest had pistols and swords indeed but they were of small use to them we took up seven of our men and with difficulty enough too three of them being very ill wounded and that which was still worse was that while we stood in the boat to take our men in we were in as much danger as they were in on shore for they poured their arrows in upon us so thick that we were glad to barricade the side of the boat up with the benches and two or three loose boards which to our great satisfaction we had by mere accident in the boat and yet had it been daylight they are it seems such exact marksmen that if they could have seen but the least part of any of us they would have been sure of us 
we had by the light of the moon a little sight of them as they stood pelting us from the shore with darts and arrows and having got ready our firearms we gave them a volley that we could hear by the cries of some of them had wounded several however they stood thus in battle array on the shore till break of day which we supposed was that they might see the better to take their aim at us in this condition we lay and could not tell how to weigh our anchor or set up our sail because we must needs stand up in the boat and they were as sure to hit us as we were to hit a bird in a tree with small shot we made signals of distress to the ship and though she rode a league off yet my nephew the captain hearing our firing and by glasses perceiving the posture we lay in and that we fired towards the shore pretty well understood us and weighing anchor with all speed he stood as near the shore as he durst with the ship and then sent another boat with ten hands in her to assist us we called to them not to come too near telling them what condition we were in however they stood in near to us and one of the men taking the end of a tow-line in his hand and keeping our boat between him and the enemy so that they could not perfectly see him swam on board us and made fast the line to the boat upon which we slipped out a little cable and leaving our anchor behind they towed us out of reach of the arrows we all the while lying close behind the barricade we had made as soon as we were got from between the ship and the shore that we could lay her side to the shore she ran along just by them and poured in a broadside among them loaded with pieces of iron and lead small bullets and such stuff besides the great shot which made a terrible havoc among them when we were got on board and out of danger we had time to examine into the occasion of this fray and indeed our supercargo who had been often in those parts put me upon it for he said he was sure the inhabitants would not have touched us after we had made a truce if we had not done something to provoke them to it at length it came out that an old woman who had come to sell us some milk had brought it within our poles and a young woman with her who also brought us some roots or herbs and while the old woman whether she was mother to the young woman or no they could not tell was selling us the milk one of our men offered some rudeness to the girl that was with her at which the old woman made a great noise however the seaman would not quit his prize but carried her out of the old woman's sight among the trees it being almost dark the old woman went away without her and as we may suppose made an outcry among the people she came from who upon notice raised that great army upon us in three or four hours and it was great odds but we had all been destroyed one of our men was killed with a lance thrown at him just at the beginning of the attack as he sallied out of the tent they had made the rest came off free all but the fellow who was the occasion of all the mischief who paid dear enough for his brutality for we could not hear what became of him for a great while we lay upon the shore two days after though the wind presented and made signals for him and made our boat sail up shore and down shore several leagues but in vain so we were obliged to give him over and if he alone had suffered for it the loss had been less i could not satisfy myself however without venturing on shore once more to try if i could learn anything of him or them it was the third night after the action that i had a great mind to learn if i could by any means what mischief we had done and how the game stood on the indians side 
I was careful to do it in the dark, lest we should be attacked again, but I ought indeed to have been sure that the men I went with had been under my command, before I engaged in a thing so hazardous and mischievous as I was brought into by it, without design. We took twenty as stout fellows with us as any in the ship, besides the supercargo and myself, and we landed two hours before midnight, at the same place where the Indians stood drawn up in the evening before, I landed here because my design, as I have said, was chiefly to see if they had quitted the field, and if they had left any marks behind them of the mischief we had done them, and I thought if we could surprise one or two of them, perhaps we might get our man again by way of exchange. We landed without any noise, and divided our men into two bodies, whereof the boatswain commanded one and I the other. We neither saw nor heard anybody stir when we landed, and we marched up, one body at a distance from another, to the place. At first we could see nothing, it being very dark, till by and by our boatswain, who led the first party, stumbled and fell over a dead body. This made them halt a while, for knowing by the circumstances that they were at the place where the Indians had stood, they waited for my coming up there. We concluded to halt till the moon began to rise, which we knew would be in less than an hour, when we could easily discern the havoc we had made among them. We told thirty-two bodies upon the ground, whereof two were not quite dead, some had an arm and some a leg shot off, and one his head. Those that were wounded we supposed they had carried away. When we had made, as I thought, a full discovery of all we could come to the knowledge of, I resolved on going on board, but the boatswain and his party sent me word that they were resolved to make a visit to the Indian town, where these dogs, as they called them, dwelt, and asked me to go along with them, and if they could find them, as they fancied they should, they did not doubt of getting a good booty, and it might be they might find Tom Jeffrey there, that was the man's name we had lost. Had they sent to ask my leave to go, I knew well enough what answer to have given them, for I should have commanded them instantly on board, knowing it was not a hazard fit for us to run, who had a ship and shiploading in our charge, and a voyage to make which depended very much upon the lives of the men. But as they sent me word they were resolved to go, and only asked me and my company to go along with them, I positively refused it, and rose up, for I was sitting on the ground, in order to go to the boat one or two of the men began to importune me to go and when i refused began to grumble and say they were not under my command and they would go come jack says one of the men will you go with me i'll go for one jack said he would and then another and in a word they all left me but one whom i persuaded to stay and a boy left in the boat so the supercargo and i with the third man went back to the boat where we told them we would stay for them, and take care to take in as many of them as should be left, for I told them it was a mad thing they were going about, and supposed most of them would have the fate of Tom Jeffrey. They told me, like seamen, they would warrant it they would come off again, and they would take care, etc., so away they went. I entreated them to consider the ship and the voyage, that their lives were not their own, and that they were entrusted with the voyage in some measure, that if they miscarried the ship might be lost for want of their help, and that they could not answer for it to God or man. But I might as well have talked to the mainmast of the ship. They were mad upon their journey, only they gave me good words and begged I would not be angry, that they did not doubt but they would be back again in about an hour at furthest, for the Indian town, they said, was not above half a mile off, though they found it above two miles before they got to it. 
Well, they all went away, and though the attempt was desperate, and such as none but madmen would have gone about, yet, to give them their due, they went about it as warily as boldly. They were gallantly armed, for they had every man a fusee or musket, a bayonet and a pistol. Some of them had broad cutlasses, some of them had hangers, and the boatswain and two more had pole-axes, besides all which they had among them thirteen hand grenados bolder fellows and better provided never went about any wicked work in the world when they went out their chief design was plunder and they were in mighty hopes of finding gold there but a circumstance which none of them were aware of set them on fire with revenge and made devils of them all when they came to the few indian houses which they thought had been the town which was not above half a mile off they were under great disappointment for there were not above twelve or thirteen houses and where the town was or how big they knew not they consulted therefore what to do and were some time before they could resolve for if they fell upon these they must cut all their throats and it was ten to one but some of them might escape it being in the night though the moon was up and if one escaped he would run and raise all the town so they should have a whole army upon them on the other hand if they went away and left those untouched for the people were all asleep they could not tell which way to look for the town however the last was the best advice so they resolved to leave them and look for the town as well as they could they went on a little way and found a cow tied to a tree this they presently concluded would be a good guide to them for they said the cow certainly belonged to the town before them or the town behind them and if they untied her they should see which way she went if she went back they had nothing to say to her but if she went forward they would follow her so they cut the cord which was made of twisted flags and the cow went on before them directly to the town which as they reported consisted of above two hundred houses or huts and in some of these they found several families living together here they found all in silence as profoundly secure as sleep could make them and first they called another council to consider what they had to do and presently resolved to divide themselves into three bodies and so set three houses on fire in three parts of the town and as the men came out to seize them and bind them if any resisted they need not be asked what to do then and so to search the rest of the houses for plunder but they resolved to march silently first through the town and see what dimensions it was of and if they might venture upon it or no they did so and desperately resolved that they would venture upon them but while they were animating one another to the work three of them who were a little before the rest called out aloud to them and told them that they had found tom jeffrey they all ran up to the place where they found the poor fellow hanging up naked by one arm and his throat cut there was an indian house just by the tree where they found sixteen or seventeen of the principal indians who had been concerned in the fray with us before and two or three of them wounded with our shot and our men found they were awake and talking one to another in that house but knew not their number the sight of their poor mangled comrade so enraged them as before that they swore to one another that they would be revenged and that not an indian that came into their hands should have any quarter and to work they went immediately and yet not so madly as might be expected from the rage and fury they were in their first care was to get something that would soon take fire but after a little search they found that would be to no purpose for most of the houses were low and thatched with flags and rushes of which the country is full 
so they presently made some wildfire, as we call it, by wetting a little powder in the palm of their hands, and in a quarter of an hour they set the town on fire in four or five places, and particularly that house where the Indians were not gone to bed. As soon as the fire began to blaze, the poor frightened creatures began to rush out to save their lives, but met with their fate in the attempt, and especially at the door, where they drove them back, the boatswain himself killing one or two with his pole-axe. The house being large, and many in it, he did not care to go in, but called for a hand-granado, and threw it in among them, which at first frightened them, but when it burst, made such havoc among them that they cried out in a hideous manner. In short, most of the Indians who were in the open part of the house were killed or hurt with the granado, except two or three more who pressed to the door, which the boatswain and two more kept, with their bayonets on the muzzles of their pieces, and dispatched all that came in their way. But there was another apartment in the house, where the prince or king, or whatever he was, and several others were, and these were kept in till the house, which was by this time all in a light flame, fell in upon them, and they were smothered together. All this while they fired not a gun, because they would not waken the people faster than they could master them, but the fire began to waken them fast enough, and our fellows were glad to keep a little together in bodies, for the fire grew so raging, all the houses being made of light combustible stuff, that they could hardly bear the street between them. Their business was to follow the fire, for the surer execution, as fast as the fire either forced the people out of those houses which were burning, or frightened them out of others, our people were ready at their doors to knock them on the head, still calling and hallooing one to another to remember Tom Jeffrey. While this was doing, I must confess I was very uneasy, and especially when I saw the flames of the town, which, it being night, seemed to be close by me. My nephew the captain, who was roused by his men seeing such a fire, was very uneasy, not knowing what the matter was, or what danger I was in, especially hearing the guns too, for by this time they began to use their firearms. A thousand thoughts oppressed his mind concerning me and the supercargo, what would become of us, and at last, though he could ill spare any more men, yet not knowing what exigence we might be in, he took another boat, and with thirteen men and himself came ashore to me. He was surprised to see me and the supercargo in the boat with no more than two men, and though he was glad that we were well, yet he was in the same impatience with us to know what was doing, for the noise continued, and the flame increased. In short, it was next to an impossibility for any men in the world to restrain their curiosity to know what had happened, or their concern for the safety of the men. In a word, the captain told me he would go and help his men, let what would come. I argued with him, as I did before with the men, the safety of the ship, the danger of the voyage, the interests of the owners and merchants, etc., and told him I and the two men would go, and only see if we could at a distance learn what was likely to be the event, and come back and tell him. It was in vain to talk to my nephew, as it was to talk to the rest before. He would go, he said, and he only wished he had left but ten men in the ship, for he could not think of having his men lost for want of help. He had rather lose the ship, the voyage, and his life, and all, and away he went. I was no more able to stay behind now than I was to persuade them not to go. So the captain ordered two men to row back the pinnace, and fetch twelve men more, leaving the long boat at an anchor, 
and that when they came back six men should keep the two boats and six more come after us so that he left only sixteen men in the ship for the whole ship's company consisted of sixty-five men whereof two were lost in the late quarrel which brought this mischief on being now on the march we felt little of the ground we trod on and being guided by the fire we kept no path but went directly to the place of the flame if the noise of the guns was surprising to us before the cries of the poor people were now quite of another nature and filled us with horror i must confess i was never at the sacking a city or at the taking a town by storm i had heard of oliver cromwell taking droida in ireland and killing man woman and child and i had read of count tilly sacking the city of magdeburg and cutting the throats of twenty-two thousand of all sexes but i never had an idea of the thing itself before nor is it possible to describe it or the horror that was upon our minds at hearing it however we went on and at length came to the town though there was no entering the streets of it for the fire the first object we met with was the ruins of a hut or house or rather the ashes of it for the house was consumed and just before it plainly now to be seen by the light of the fire lay four men and three women killed and as we thought one or two more lay in the heap among the fire in short there were such instances of rage altogether barbarous and of a fury something beyond what was human that we thought it impossible our men could be guilty of it or if they were the authors of it we thought they ought to be every one of them put to the worst of deaths but this was not all we saw the fire increase forward and the cry went on just as the fire went on so that we were in the utmost confusion we advanced a little way farther and behold to our astonishment three naked women and crying in a most dreadful manner came flying as if they had wings and after them sixteen or seventeen men natives in the same terror and consternation with three of our english butchers in the rear who when they could not overtake them fired in among them and one that was killed by their shot fell down in our sight when the rest saw us believing us to be their enemies and that we would murder them as well as those that pursued them they set up a most dreadful shriek especially the women and two of them fell down as if already dead with the fright my very soul shrunk within me and my blood ran chill in my veins when i saw this and i believe had the three english sailors that pursued them come on i had made our men kill them all however we took some means to let the poor flying creatures know that we would not hurt them and immediately they came up to us and kneeling down with their hands lifted up made piteous lamentation to us to save them which we let them know we would whereupon they crept all together in a huddle close behind us as for protection i left my men drawn up together and charging them to hurt nobody but if possible to get at some of our people and see what devil it was possessed them and what they intended to do and to command them off assuring them that if they stayed till daylight they would have a hundred thousand men about their ears i say i left them and went among those flying people taking only two of our men with me and there was indeed a piteous spectacle among them some of them had their feet terribly burned with trampling and running through the fire others their hands burned one of the women had fallen down in the fire and was very much burned before she could get out again and two or three of the men had cuts in their backs and thighs from our men pursuing and another was shot through the body and died while i was there 
I would fain have learned what the occasion of all this was, but I could not understand one word they said, though, by signs, I perceived some of them knew not what was the occasion themselves. I was so terrified in my thoughts at this outrageous attempt that I could not stay there, but went back to my own men, and resolved to go into the middle of the town, through the fire, or whatever might be in the way, and put an end to it, cost what it would, accordingly as i came back to my men i told them my resolution and commanded them to follow me when at the very moment came four of our men with the boatswain at their head roving over heaps of bodies they had killed all covered with blood and dust as if they wanted more people to massacre when our men hallooed to them as loud as they could halloo and with much ado one of them made to hear so that they knew who we were and came up to us as soon as the boatswain saw us he set up a halloo like a shout of triumph for having as he thought more help come and without waiting to hear me captain says he noble captain i am glad you are come we have not half done yet villainous hell-hound dogs i'll kill as many of them as poor tom has hairs upon his head we have sworn to spare none of them we'll root out the very nation of them from the earth and thus he ran on out of breath too with action and would not give us leave to speak a word at last raising my voice that i might silence him a little barbarous dog said i what are you doing i won't have one creature touched more upon pain of death i charge you upon your life to stop your hands and stand still here or you are a dead man this minute why sir says he do you know what you do or what they have done if you want a reason for what we have done come hither and with that he showed me the poor fellow hanging with his throat cut i confess i was urged then myself and at another time would have been forward enough but i thought they had carried their rage too far and remembered jacob's words to his sons simeon and levi cursed be their anger for it was fierce and their wrath for it was cruel but i had now a new task upon my hands for when the men i had carried with me saw the sight as i had done i had as much to do to restrain them as i should have had with the others nay my nephew himself fell in with them and told me in their hearing that he was only concerned for fear of the men being overpowered and as to the people he thought not one of them ought to live for they had all glutted themselves with the murder of the poor man and that they ought to be used like murderers upon these words away ran eight of my men with the boatswain and his crew to complete their bloody work and i seeing it quite out of my power to restrain them came away pensive and sad for i could not bear the sight much less the horrible noise and cries of the poor wretches that fell into their hands i got nobody to come back with me but the supercargo and two men and with these walked back to the boat it was a very great piece of folly in me i confess to venture back as it were alone for as it began now to be almost day and the alarm had run over the country there stood about forty men armed with lances and bows at the little place where the twelve or thirteen houses stood mentioned before but by accident i missed the place and came directly to the seaside and by the time i got to the seaside it was broad day immediately i took the pinnace and went on board and set her back to assist the men in what might happen i observed about the time that i got to the boat side that the fire was pretty well out and the noise abated but in about half an hour after i got on board i heard a volley of our men's firearms and saw a great smoke 
this as i understood afterwards was our men falling upon the men who as i said stood at the few houses on the way of whom they killed sixteen or seventeen and set all the houses on fire but did not meddle with the women or children by the time the men got to the shore again with the pinnace our men began to appear they came dropping in not in two bodies as they went but straggling here and there in such a manner that a small force of resolute men might have cut them all off but the dread of them was upon the whole country and the men were surprised and so frightened that i believe a hundred of them would have fled at the sight of but five of our men nor in all this terrible action was there a man that made any considerable defence they were so surprised between the terror of the fire and the sudden attack of our men in the dark that they knew not which way to turn themselves for if they fled one way they were met by one party if back again by another so that they were everywhere knocked down nor did any of our men receive the least hurt except one that sprained his foot and another that had one of his hands burned End of chapter nine